You're listening to Making Waves, Fresh Ideas in Freshwater Science. Making Waves is a bi-monthly podcast where we discuss new ideas in freshwater science and why they matter to you. Welcome back to Making Waves. I'm your host for the month, Stephen Elser. Now, we talk a lot in this podcast about exciting, cutting-edge research in aquatic science, but just as important as those interesting results are the avenues through which they come about. For many scientists, field stations serve as that avenue, giving them unparalleled degrees of control and freedom that allow for larger-scale manipulations that would not be possible elsewhere. Steve Carpenter and his team, for example, used whole lake manipulations to illustrate trophic cascades, something that they could not have done if not for the University of Notre Dame's Environmental Research Center. Some field stations also double as long-term ecological research centers, such as Trout Lake, giving scientists highly valuable continuous data over time. Beyond all that, uh, aquatic field stations are also just boatloads of fun, pun intended. I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of my summers growing up at the Experimental Lakes area in Ontario and spent a few summers of my adult life at the aforementioned Notre Dame Research Center. And in a lot of ways, I think field stations like these are sort of like summer camps for scientists. Uh, So today, as summer's drawing to a close, I wanted to highlight a prominent aquatic research station here in the U.S., the University of Montana's Flathead Lake Biological Station. I sat down with the director, Dr. James Elser, or as I like to call him, Dad. I'm uh, Jim Elser. I'm the director of the Flathead Lake Biological Station and uh, professor of ecology at the University of Montana. Great. Thank you very much. So could you tell us a little bit about the history of Flathead Lake Biological Station, when it started, its trajectory till now? Sure. The Flathead Lake Biological Station is, depending how you count or how you look or whatever, is the oldest year-round biological station in the Western Hemisphere, I believe. Wow. And was started in 1899 when the university itself was only about five years old. So wow. it's very unusual for something in the state of Montana to be the oldest of anything, <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's kind of a cool thing about it. it really, has been here for a long time, doing some great stuff. Uh, great. So, uh, what other than its its age? Uh, what would you say makes FLBS very unique uh, as a research station, or maybe just even as an entity here in Montana? Oh, several things. Um, well, its location is incredible. It's on the shores of uh, Flathead Lake, which is the largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi River in the United States. Wow. Beautiful water body, very clear, uh, high-quality water, beautiful mountain scenery. Um, it has advanced facilities. It's, uh, you know, some people think a biological field station is like a tent and a microscope or something like that. <laughs> And this is, uh, I think it's really a mini campus of the University of Montana. We have resident housing, we have a dining hall, we have advanced research facilities, we have administrative facilities, we have, a, we even have our own sewage treatment plant. So we really have it all going on here. Um, that's pretty unique about it. And I think another unique thing about it is that because of our long history here, um, and because of a legacy that was put down by the founders and the others that have come uh, since the founding, The station has been very embedded and taken very seriously its responsibility to the community and to be the sentinel of the lake, if you will, to watch the lake, to uh, be uh, responsible for uh, studying it and reporting uh, its condition to the people around here. That's great. So you mentioned uh, the founder. Would you mind talking a little bit about the founder of uh, of the station and and what his significance is? Well, the founder of Flathead Lake, uh, biological station was a guy by the name of Morton Elrod. He was, you know, a classic naturalist of the late uh, um, of the late nineteenth century. 
um, around that time when these things were going on. And, um, and so he was, um, some people don't think he ever slept. Um, <laughs> he, you know, every summer he would come up from Missoula to make collections and to explore the lakes around here and, and climb the mountains and make surveys. And, and then he would bring students here um, and then begin to establish the first uh, summer teaching courses where students would come from around the United States. It was really quite amazing because it was an arduous journey to come even from Missoula here, let alone other parts of the country. Wow. So this is, this is beginning of the 20th century? He was bringing students? He was bringing here students here in, in yeah, 1904, 1904 1903. Wow. Uh, he would, they were putting up wall tents here at Yellow Bay. And, um, and uh, well, the first uh, biological station was at Big Fork, and, uh, where the river, Swan River, comes into the lake. And they were there for several years before the um, University of Montana was deeded this property during the land settlements of that time. Um, and, the, and then they moved the permanent location of the station here. So he was a pretty amazing guy. Uh, he taught photography when photography was sort of like the gene sequencing or uh, yeah. you know, high-tech sort of stuff <laughs> of the day. Um, so he took a lot of pictures, which are still very valuable scientifically now because they give us a historical record of what the landscape looked like, including the glaciers. He was involved in uh, laying out the boundaries of uh, Glacier National Park with Charles Bird Griddell. Um, he was involved in laying out the boundaries uh, for the National Bison Range south of here, and so he was quite fundamental in some of the early conservation efforts uh, in western Montana. Great. So um, you mentioned just a little bit ago about how part of what you see as the mission of FLBS is to sort of work with the community and communicating some of the um, work that you're doing here on the lake. So I'm just kind of curious um, if you could speak a little bit about the significance of the lake to the near, nearby community um, from, from what you've experienced so far. Well, I mean, the lake is, a, is sort of like uh, the recreational vacation um, lifestyle magnet for people all across the Mountain West. Um, I think for people in Montana, going to Flathead Lake is like for people in New England going to Cape Cod. Yeah. It's this thing you did in your family for many, many, many generations yeah. over time. And there was a cottage and you went there in the summer and never built layers of memories over generations doing that. So it was it, so it's really is a part of the, the lifestyle of people of, of this region. Um, and it still is. It's also become a broader attractor of people from all over the country and the world who have come here to retire or to have vacation homes or what have you. The economic value of the lake in terms of recreational uh, income and, and those kind of revenues is extremely high. The shoreline property values are extremely high. <laughs> um, and so the lake is super, super valuable. And it's not just the lake itself, it's its uh, quality, which is extremely high, nearly pristine water quality conditions, which are quite unusual, where a lot of lakes in the country or in the West are degrading in water quality. This lake is hanging on, it's doing pretty well, doing really well, according to the records that we have from our monitoring program, which goes back to 1977 in a formal way. So what what would you say is uh, is allowing Flathead Lake to hold on, as you said, and, and maintain that, that high quality of water? Well, the science was good at the beginning. You know, when this basin started to get built up and, and there was nutrient pollution going on, um, the biostation scientists were here measuring stuff and 
and things were starting to go south, I think, in the early 80s um, with algal blooms and such. And they were successful in convincing the larger towns around the area to get advanced wastewater treatment plants and for phosphorus removal. And that really turned things around. Phosphorus levels are have been slowly declining in this lake over the last 25 years. Really? Nitrogen seems to be going up for reasons that are interesting to discuss, but phosphorus levels are slowly going down, which is pretty unique for a lot of uh, lakes in the country. So um, that's not to say that, you know, all concerns are are absent, but our main concern now is non-point sources, mainly aging and poorly designed septic systems are are our concern right now for nutrient loading to the system, but it really is um, a, a lake that's in Great condition, be partially because of the science uh, had an effective impact back when it was needed in the early 80s when things were uh, could have gone in another direction. Um, and so, you know, the biostation played a role in that. The people in the community played a role in that. Um, and, you know, the state of Montana itself also played a role. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, nutrient loading is at least part of the focus of research here at the station. Could you speak on some of the other projects? Yeah, going so, um, well, we monitor the lake for all kinds of reasons and, yeah. and parameters for nutrients, biological, ecological, um, physical, chemical parameters on a regular basis using standard methods. So that's sort of, I consider it monitoring to be a form of research. Long-term monitoring is a form of research. Yeah, and we published a lot of, they published a lot of important papers based on that record here. Um, on the specialized research side of things, we have programs in uh, conservation genomics here dealing with, uh, for example, hybridization between the West Slope cutthroat trout and rainbow trout, which is going on. Um, we have um, projects on aquatic microbial ecology. So we... Don't have yet a very good sense of uh, the microbial diversity and function out there in the lake. Um, so we have a new professor by the name of, of Matt Church who's come on to doing that. We're doing genomic sequencing and some functional genomic work on the lake right now. Um, we have a long-standing program in uh, river ecology and stream ecology, especially work that was done by Jack Stanford and Rick Howard early on for many uh, years at the Nyack floodplain on the middle fork of the Flathead River, um, studying these gorgeous, relatively unperturbed uh, gravel bed rivers and how they function and the uh, incredible biodiversity that they support. So that's another research strength. And recently we brought Bob Hall onto the faculty and he's taking over a lot of that legacy. Um, we have work on methane fluxes, methane dynamics. Uh, my own work includes um, work we're doing in Glacier National Park, and what we call newborn lakes, lakes that are newly appearing as the glaciers retreat at high elevation uh, in the region. And we're trying to just describe the fundamental limnology of those systems as they, as they appear. And so that's something that we started up. We also have another arm of things that have developed that we've been developing um, at the station related to sensor technologies. And so uh, we have a new research faculty member named Cody Youngbull who's come. We have a new facility called the Sensor Space, which is a, a facility for advanced design and fabrication of environmental sensors. Incredible um, equipment for producing all kinds of environmental sensors for on a uh, job for job basis or if users want to come and learn how to use the equipment to make their own sensors they can and we're teaching courses in it 
But beyond that, we are advancing a bunch of sensor designs of our own, the most important of which right now is the world's first portable continuous flow digital droplet PCR instrument. <laughs> That's a mouthful, so we call it the DNA tracker. And this is essentially a digital droplet PCR instrument that fits uh, in a small toolbox that you can fit under the uh, seat in front of you on an airplane, taken wow. in, in the back country with you, taken in a boat with you, runs on six watts of power, does PCR reactions in individual nanoliter-sized droplets. Um, and we are now using that primarily for invasive species screening because Montana is facing the threat of zebra quagga mussel invasion. Yeah. And, but it has many, many, many applications that we're really, really excited about. So sensors, um, biological sensors, but also, of course, the regular sort of physical chemical sensors that we use in limnology are a big part of what we're um, advancing here. Yeah, that, that piece of technology sounds really, really incredible. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be interested in, in hearing about that technology as it yeah, develops yeah, and using yeah. it in their own work. Um, so beyond that, is there anything that you're really excited about that's happening right now at the station? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things going on. I think I've been told that, um, well, this summer we have 85 people on payroll, and the assistant director, Tom Bansack, told me that by his estimate, he's been here 22 years or something like that, right. by his estimation, he thinks this is the busiest summer in the history of the biological station, wow. which of course is 120 plus years um, of right. history. So, um, and those 85 people include the right, the core staff, you know, graduate students, postdocs, summer seasonal uh, researchers. Um, and uh, a bunch of uh, great undergraduate RUs and interns that we brought on. On top of all of those, there's about 40 students here um, taking our summer session classes, which is also exciting. Yeah, could you speak a little bit more about those opportunities for students here in the summer? Yeah, so summer session has been going on here for more than a century, more than 115 years, really. Um, not continuously. I think they missed a few years during World War II or something like that, but... Um, it is, you know, really, truly immersive learning. Morton Elrod was sort of a visionary in that regard. He believed that, you know, the best learning takes place when you're immersed in the environment you're studying rather than reading about it. Yeah. Back in his day, it would be reading about it. Now it would be subjected to PowerPoint <laughs> presentations. So we try to keep that to a minimum. We get students outside yeah. as much as possible. We get them on hands-on um, learning, doing projects, doing measurements with real research techniques and methods. Um, generally, the courses are designed for, on one hand, we have an introductory course that I teach. It's more for uh, mid-undergraduates. Uh, They're sort of just starting their ecology trajectory. It's sort of like a general ecology class, but taught outside. Um, right. Beyond that, all our courses are best for advanced, are really good for advanced undergraduates, like junior, seniors, and early grad students who just want to get some more field uh, experience and methodology under their hand, under their um, belts and we offer them in aquatic side and terrestrial side and um, they're generally two weeks long for three credits and students and it's sort of eight in the morning till whenever at night five <laughs> for two weeks uh, essentially and that's a three credit uh, course that generally transfers wherever um, students need it to transfer and I, you know and the courses could be used for undergraduate or graduate purposes so it's fun because the students come from all over the country, all over the world. We have our first students from China this summer oh, okay. here. And last summer we had 20 states were represented wow. in, in the uh, classes in 29 different universities and uh, colleges were here. 
That's so right. it's a really fun thing. So students get to learn a lot about ecology, learn some practical methods and approaches. They get to experience the incredible western landscape of Montana. Yeah. And they, you know, make friendships and collegial relationships with students from around the country that, you know, I hope they'll carry with them for some time and during their careers. Yeah. I'm speaking from personal experience. I've certainly held on to those connections that I've yeah. learned as an undergrad. Yeah. yeah. The summer experiences. Uh, so you, um, earlier were talking about, you know, the, the relationship between the station and the community. So I was hoping to hear a little bit about some of the outreach uh, sure. that the station uh, does. Yeah. So our mission is sort of threefold. We have re- advanced research. We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, monitoring, which we talked about that. And then education at all levels. We talked about the undergraduate, graduate level in the summer session. We also do graduate training of graduate students and postdocs here, of course. But then education at all levels means education for citizens as a whole, whatever age they are. And so in the general community, we're closely embedded in the general community around here um, in telling them what's going on in the lake and interacting. We have close relationship with a large lake association called the Flathead Lakers, which has 1,500 members in the basin. And we work very closely with them in communicating our science to them and advising them on what on different sorts of projects and endeavors for conservation and water quality protection that they undertake. Um, part of that, we, for example, we co-sponsor a Science on Tap event the first Tuesday of every month. We meet in um, a local pub, and there's a very informal science presentation by someone from the station or someone from the uh, community, USGS or Park Service or or other places and it's great it's always packed and people have great questions and it's a lot of fun yeah um so we do that um we have some public outreach events just tomorrow we're having our annual research cruise which involves um scientists and and students from the biostation we go on a commercial tour boat that comes out of the north side of the lake we get about 50 or so uh, folks from the community come on there's a band there's food there's a little bit of uh, beer and wine <laughs> And also a scientific discussion uh, and presentations. I call it like a booze cruise, but with data. <laughs> um, and so it's a little mixture of fun and science. And that's one thing we do. We have an annual open house. We get about 600 people come through the station. Wow. A lot of hands-on activity in August. Um, we do something called data and donuts during the summer session, which are informal talks by or semi-formal talks by scientists that are take that take place for our students and for community members on Monday mornings. Um, and then beyond that, we really have spun up our K-12 education program. So we now have uh, permanent uh, staff who are trained in uh, pedagogy and, and education and working with teachers and working with students. And, um, and now we have a very large influx of school groups that come in um, for field trips. Our goal is that every one, every student in the basin will have come to the biostation at least once during their, um, before they graduate from high school. I really hope we can actually say that they'll be, get through twice, once in high school and once um, in elementary school. Um, because our goal is that no one should grow up around this lake without having yeah. a fundamental understanding of what's in there, what's going on, yeah. and, and how, how it affects their life and how their daily activities might impact the lake itself so that they have a good basis for their lifestyle decisions and and other decisions they make that impinge on the lake itself. So, so we're really excited about that, working with students directly, but also especially working with teachers and giving them curriculum that relates to the lake that helps them do their job in, in a better way and, and, uh, and help the students get a good science education. 
So that's a big thing we're doing now that, we, that the station has had didn't have the capacity to do before, but now we do. So that's fun. Yeah, that sounds really incredible. I I really love that idea of trying to get every every kid in here and uh, teach them that way. It's great. Uh, I don't have anything else for you. Do you have anything <laughs> uh, that I didn't ask that you know you'd like to talk about? Um, I don't know. Let me think. Um, well, you know, sort of like people have this funny idea, but with field, well, field stations, you know, ch- face challenging times, right? Because science in general is facing challenging times yeah. with uh, funding levels and agencies and funding declining. And and um, the other thing I think, you know, that by a lot faces field stations that challenges getting students engaged there as well. Like in our summer session, it's challenging because students face a lot of pressure to get jobs they have to pay for their education more and more. They're worried about loans and such. And so they don't have the freedom as much as they may have had in the past to go off in summer and, you know, take a field course that's just as eye-opening and transformative like the ones we have here. Because, you know, they feel like they've got to take a job in summer to pay their tuition. And many of them really, really do. Yeah. So that's, that worries me. Um, I think our station is doing very well. Uh, the university has invested in it. Um, it's, you know, a real jewel of the University of Montana. Um, and I think the people, the community have invested in this station because they see the value that it brings both to the local um, environment by protecting the lake, but also to the community to, you know, raise everyone's awareness of what's around us. So um, field stations are in a sort of a, t- a state of, you know, of challenge right now, but I think that the more we can do to raise awareness of them, uh, the better. I sort of think that a field station is to a, well, as a super collider is to a physicist or a telescope is to an astronomer, a field station is to an ecologist. It's sort of an apparatus for scientific discovery. It's sort of where you collide by biodiversity with scientists <laughs> and, and you see what um, understanding uh, emerges from that. So yeah. I think it's sort of a basic investment that society makes in science that's equivalent to things like uh, colliders and telescopes and DNA sequencing yeah. equipment and stuff. So I'm very happy that the University of Montana has continued to um, support this facility, that the members of the community uh, continue to support this facility because um, I think this is um, – I. I would like to say that this is the best uh, field station in the United States, not just the oldest. (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. It was fun. If you'd like to apply for any of the summer courses that we talked about earlier, you can go to their website at www.flbs.umt.edu and go to the Education tab. Applications are usually available in mid-November, and the first round of deadlines is in mid-January. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Making Waves podcast, brought to you with support by the Society for Freshwater Science. For more information on this speaker, the Making Waves podcast, or the Society in general, please visit us on the web at the Society for Freshwater Science webpage. Tune in next time for another fresh idea in freshwater science.